Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Big Red Bus. Doug and I recorded a show on Friday afternoon, and lo and behold, just as we wrapped up recording, the news broke that Patrick Williams was out for the year. Fortunately, around the 12-minute mark, I correctly prophesied this exact scenario. And our conversation on the big decisions of the offseason starts with what to do with Patrick Williams. I'd love your feedback on this specific part of the show. Email me at credfred at gmail.com with your thoughts. And Doug and I will discuss some of them on the next show. So here it is, the latest Big Red Bus. Thank you for listening. Godspeed, my friends. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Big Red Bus as we take the glorious monstrosity out onto the streets of Chicago. I look to my right, and lo and behold, it's a great one, Doug Tonus. How you doing, brother? Just living a dream, Fred, living a dream. You know, even though there was a loss last night, we're recording this, you know, Friday, it felt good, actually, just to have basketball back. I hate the All-Star break. I hate it. So, you know, I, it was just great to have basketball back. So I know it wasn't the, the best outcome but in the end like whatever you didn't go into that game thinking the bulls are gonna beat the celtics while they're shorthanded and you know it, they kind of were competitive at parts and then they you know got blown out in the third and whatever but it was it was fun just to have basketball back absolutely because that what we saw on sunday night with the all-star game definitely wasn't basketball it was some kind of variation that was a disaster that i never want to witness again but you know what there's breaking news dt i don't know if you've heard the bulls have signed former Knicks guard Ryan Archie, not in the NBA. He's coming back to the Windy City, the Windy City Bulls. What say you with this breaking news? So he's was this something that we weren't you weren't prepared I for was, or aware I was of? Not prepared or aware. <laughs> this is one of those examples. Oh, this great news wasn't on yeah, the agenda. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm excited for Archie Diakono to come back. Are you serious? No, I mean, why would I be excited about <laughs> anyone joining our G League team? Like, I mean, I think Archie Diakono well, is fine. Exactly. He's like a third string point guard. Like, I think he's fine. Like, that's a guy who shouldn't play, um, but could play for a few minutes and maybe not get you destroyed. Like, I think he was okay in that role, but uh, I, I'm not really excited Wait, about why is this fine? anything. This isn't fine. This isn't remotely fine. What, we mean to tell me we can't find another player to put on that roster who maybe has some potential that's an actual front court player. The last thing we need well, is another You don't guard. have rights to him just because he's on the – the G League roster, that doesn't mean anything. He's a G League player. He's not, like, under the Bulls under contract. Yeah, but wh- why waste a it's spot? It's not the Bulls wasting a spot. On a G League team with this why guy. Not? It's your G yeah, League and the G League team, team is trying to win not. G League games. So they think Ryan Archidiakono can help them. Like, any All team, right. we can, we can, you know you're aware. Just We can take a guy from any G League team in the league and bring him onto our roster. We aren't limited to the, the players on the Windy City Bulls. And any team in the league, I guess they're they're probably signing them. That's a good point. I understand what they're doing. They're trying to so it's irrelevant. They're trying to sign them to get some people out and get some fifteen year old girls and Mark K. Hopefully to fly in. That's what they're trying to do is to sell some some tickets for the G League affiliate. I guess I just I get frustrated when I'm like, why don't we just try to find some good talent that could maybe develop and use them the Windy City Bulls as as a place to get a a really good eye on the work ethic of some of these younger players. But you know that said. 
Ryan A's back. That's great. Jim Boylan's thrilled. I'm sure he'll have a heartfelt moment when he's back in town and have dinner together. So, uh, breaking news. You're happy about it. I'm I'm uh, much more lukewarm. But uh, let's get on to, to, to more exciting topics. The Bulls in Boston. What say you? I think I said all I needed to say already. You went into that game thinking they were going to get slaughtered, and they kind of got slaughtered. I mean, like, what do you – I don't know, like, how much analysis there is left to do for this whole Bulls season, to be honest, like, on a game-by-game basis. Like, we're playing without a power forward, and, uh, yeah, we, and we're, we're an okay-ish team. You know, I, I want to go back to our last podcast. We said, I think it was the next 12 games were going to be kind of like a, a rough schedule. And if I'm not mistaken, Fred, right. I think that was before the Cavs played. 13. The, that we played the Cavs. That's correct. And so we're 0-2 in those games. And I believe I said if we could go 5-7 and seven in those games, which would not be great, but if we could go 5-7, and seven, it would be an amazing run. And, you know, we're 0-2 right now, and so how are you thinking about, you know, the next stretch? To me, that's like an interesting question, because this is going to determine, you know, like, can we even hang on to ninth? Like, if we, you know, are we going to fall to 10th? I don't think we can fall out of 10th, though, so maybe, you know, I don't know how important home court is in the play-in tournament. You know, I think for the Reinsdorfs, they want that ninth spot, because, you know, they're going to get the revenue from the ticket sales, having the home game. You know, it's big, big stuff. Exactly. Are the playing game? You mean we have yeah. one? Well, we we won't even have a playing game, right? If they well, wait. If, does that it's how it nine ten? Nine, nine ten, ten play each other, and the nine gets home court. Well, I got news for you. They're one and a half games on the Hawks. I feel pretty good about the Hawks surpassing us in the next twelve games. I mean, just looking at the schedule. I mean, just for everybody who's listening, let's go over it really quick. Sure. Um, and we talked about this. You're right. Before the Cavs game, and that's what was so frustrating about the Cavs game that if you know, freaking Vucevic showed up and played halfway decent. We probably win that game. He was awful. It was probably his worst game of the year. So we lose that game against a really good Cavs team on the road. We lose against the Celtics. Now we got the Pelicans next, who are playing very, you know, very well. And that game's on the road. Then we got the Pistons at home. That's the one game I think we both identified as likely to win, you know, easily uh, at home. Then we got the Cavs at home. That's not an easy game. We got the Bucks at home. Not an easy game to start March. Then we got at Kings, at Jazz, and Warriors on a back-to-back. So, um, you know, we're playing at the Jazz. That you know, that's not an easy game either. Yeah, I mean, the Jazz uh, are kind of in a free fall, so they've lost five in a row. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's still not a layup, right? I yeah, mean, yeah. They're a real team. We'll probably be favored by one. They're a good yeah, team. They're a real team. Then, it's not like playing the Pistons, where you're like in the Superior Conference, exactly. So. At the Warriors, at the Clippers, the Mavericks at home, at Pacers, Clippers at home. That ends the stretch on the 14th of March. That is a buzzsaw. I don't, I'm not sure, maybe we get two, three wins now after losing these two. Like, I don't feel good about any of those games. Yeah. You know, and then after that, the schedule gets a lot better to finish the year. You know, just running through Wizards, Blazers, Rockets, Celtics, Wizards, Pacers, Nets. Timberwolves. Yeah. Maybe not that much better, but I think we're absolutely going to fall behind Atlanta. What say you? I think we'll finish ahead of Atlanta. I agree we might fall behind Atlanta, but then I think we'll catch them when the schedule lightens up again. Do you want me to read you Atlanta's schedule over the next 12? Just just so to put this in perspective, right? Sure. Yeah. I have no idea. I what think Atlanta's we both agree. Is. Now they're coming back. They're playing against the Raptors tonight at home. 
They got the Raptors, the Magic at home, the Jazz at home, at Brooklyn. Okay? Next month, at Nets, at Knicks, Cavs at home, at Grizzlies, Pelicans at home, at Trailblazers, at Jazz. That's her schedule for the next month. I think they win three or four of those games. And I think, you know, we'll probably be in a virtual tie between now and March 15th. That's my prediction. I believe we own the tiebreaker against them. Yeah. Should have come to that. We'll probably finish ahead of them, Doug. You're probably right. So we'll get one play-in home game. Their schedule's not so much lighter than ours, to be honest. Like, hearing that out, like, they'll also be underdogs in most of those games. And I I think they're playing worse than us over the recent period of stretch uh, as well. So, yeah, I think, whatever. The Bulls are probably going to be in the 9-10 game. Have you given up hope that they're going to make the fifth seed? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> I've given up complete. I mean, these injuries are, are kind of catastrophic, let's be honest about it. We lost our best three-point shooter, arguably, in Levine. We lost Patrick Williams, again, one of our top three shooters. And Torrey Craig was signed as a you know 3 and D type of guy, obviously not as good of a shooter as those guys, but that's a really tough loss, losing him in a non-contact injury. Injuries are starting to catch up to us. No one's going to feel sorry for us. Every team has injuries. Uh, some much more, you know, important like the Sixers. But I agree with you. Five is a is a pipe dream, and six is a pipe dream. We're, we're going to probably be nine. Eight is a fi- pipe dream. Eight would be surpassing the Heat, and I agree that's a pipe dream. Although they have injury <laughs> issues of their own. Yeah, they have injury um, injuries of their own, but they're four and a half ahead of us. It's over. <laughs> like, yeah, we're not schedule suck. at best. We're not. We're not we're going best. against that buzzsaw you said, and picking up four and a half games on the Heat. It's just not going to happen. Yes. So we're going to be either ninth Number or tenth. You know, like Brooklyn is so far away. I, you know, I would think we could maybe even lose out and still finish ahead of Brooklyn. <laughs> like it might be close. So um, it's true. So, I, so you know, true. We're, we're not going to fall behind Brooklyn. So we're in the nine ten. That's where the Bulls are. They're going to have to win two play-in games uh, to have the honor of losing to the Boston Celtics. <laughs> what a year! What an exciting Doug. First of all, out of all the catastrophic ends. If we somehow fall behind the Nets and lose out to even get in the play-in game, that, to me, is a fireable offense. Um, that's where I think these guys would have to go. And I think possibly ownership would be willing to make a change if we fell all the way out of the playoffs race. What say you? I have no idea what ownership thinks. I think what they've already done is a fireable offense. Um, I said it before on the show, and I know you agree with me, and so I don't want to just pat ourselves on the back over and over again. But these guys are way worse, so much worse than the last regime. It's ridiculous. And everyone hated that regime. Like, and so whatever you think about whatever the baseline Garpax was, these guys are in like a whole two tiers below them in their ability, no matter how you measure it be it strategy, be it execution, be it the draft, be it like salary decisions, extensions, like whatever. They're just bad in every aspect of what they do. And so to me, they've already hit the fireable offense, you know, portion of this. But I agree if they miss the play in altogether, I think that might be enough to make Michael Reinsdorf go, you know what, this isn't it. And even if he doesn't, that's the only way. Even if, way it, even if it, it doesn't, it's probably enough to make Arturis Karnaschovas say, I cannot run this team back for another year in a row, which I think is my greatest fear and maybe the greatest fear of a lot of Bulls fans 
is that we just be like, well, we'll just try the same thing again. And I, I, I think agree. if they miss the playoffs, that's like, a, or miss the play in even. I think that's enough to say, look, we couldn't even make the top 10 of a 15 team conference on the weaker side of the conference that's not actually competitive. So I think that would be enough to spur change, you know, be it, be it change in management or change in management's, management's direction. I do think that would be the outcome that would spur change. And so in some ways, that's the best outcome. What I would love is for them to make the playoffs and still realize they need to make a change. You know, like say, I'd love for them yeah. to win the two playing games, play a great series against Boston, and then say like, well, that was a fun ride, but we know we can't just keep trying to do this. We have to, we have to do something else. That would be my preferred outcome. But I think if we do that, we're just going to run this t- same team back again next year. All right, so I'm going to put my prophetic robes on, my red oh, robes. Because right. I'm going to tell you what's likely going to happen. The Bulls are going to take their lumps over the next 12 games. and But they'll, they'll get it together somewhat before the end of the year and finish 9 or 10. They'll probably finish 9. They'll probably either lose in the play-in or lose in the first round in, in very ugly fashion and go into the offseason. I think we, we're all in agreement that's the most likely scenario, right? Yep. You would One agree, the, too. Probably nine. Yes, probably nine, and then they're going to lose, either in the play-in or the first round. What are the moves at that point? Let's start out with Patrick Williams. So Patrick Williams, which I think is a big topic of discussion, it almost looks like now there's a good shot he might be out for the year, just the way things are going. What I see in the tea leaves, maybe he comes back in April, hopefully. But, I mean, he's still not working out, according to all reports, uh, in basketball drills, working out hard. So, Come on, realistically, are they going to rush this guy back? He'll, he'll probably at the best be back in April and put up his typical good game, two bad games, two good games, you know, one, three, four bad games in a row. What do you do with Patrick Williams at the end of the season? It's a tough one only because it's so hard to predict what the market for Patrick Williams will be, like what other teams are going to do. And it's so hard to predict – right now what his injury situation is going to look like in July. You know, we, I talked about bone edema and noted that it's like a three-month to two-year injury if you just do Google search on bone edema. Now, that's like a super broad range. It's not specific to Patrick Williams' situation. Um, he had acute, quote-unquote, bone edema. Maybe that's like a four-week injury. I don't know. Uh, so without knowing if this is really going to be a long-term thing, and clearly the Bulls should have better medical information than we do, right? Like we have none. We have like three lines of press clippings. So they should have some better feel on that. So if we assume for the moment that Patrick Williams is out for the rest of the year, but going into next year, we have um, strong confidence, like a really high level of confidence that this injury is behind him and is not going to come back again. Like, whatever the recovery is, it's over, it sucked, it was a long time, but, but start of the season is basically nine months from the injury, and that was enough, and it's never going to come back. So we'll just start with that as a premise, right? That may not be an accurate premise, but we'll start with that as a premise. Then I think what I would do is I would let Patrick Williams go get an offer in the market, and I would match it. And if he can't get an offer in the market, then I would be like, hey, here's your four-year MLE type deal. And that would be my offer. 
I think Kayan, for where he's played, at the level he's played, at the level of consistency he's shown, high end should be $15 million per year. High end. Not 20, not 25. And you know what? The market's going to show that. First of all, he's a restricted free agent. He's not going to sign with any team that has cap issues or, and at best, he'll get a mid level exception with it. All these teams are having cap issues. He's not going to get a good contract on the market. It's the nature of the restricted free agency. No one's going to sign him with the possible exception of an insane offer from the Orlando Magic or maybe even the Pistons or one of these poor teams, maybe even Charlotte. And guess what? If they offer him 20 to $25 million per year, you let him walk. You don't match it. It's not an asset. He's not good enough to deserve that contract. Let him walk. Let's start getting serious about bringing in real talent here that shows consistency. What say you to that statement? Do you agree with what I said? I probably agree, but I'm going to throw you a counterpoint. If someone okay. offered Kobe White... $25 million a year last year, you could have said the same thing. And it probably would, would have been have a mistake. I would have disagreed with you because Kobe White has shown far more flashes of greatness I don't than think that Kobe Patrick White, Williams has. I don't think Kobe White last year. I disagree year, with that. I, well, I, I disagree with your disagreement, so just hear me out. I think most people would have said last year, Kobe White at $25 million is insane. And I would not have paid him that money either. So you might disagree. That's fine. I know you're, you're really high on Kobe White, and you were right. So look, 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 throw in your flowers. Good call, Fred. The, the prophet did his thing, predicted the future. Like, you're right. <laughs> Thank like, you. Finally get some credit right. for my you're brilliance. I'm going to give you full credit. You're the only – you were like, like I was alone on like Acme Hating Island for like two years. In Vooch Hating Island, I was like by myself. And now it's like Reserve a booming props. metropolis. You were alone yes. on like Kobe White loving island of like saying Kobe and White – Kobe White could be a star. Like, like other people liked Kobe White. A lot of people liked Kobe White. But I don't think I heard anyone but you say Kobe White could be a star. So full credit to you. But I think the okay. general population would have said $25 million is insane for Kobe White last year. And the fact Probably that he only true. got like $12 million means the NBA world backed up that opinion, like generally. So I think Patrick Williams is in the same boat. Like, like it would not be totally insane to me if Pat got $25 million and then, you know, just continued to make good improvements on defense, just showed a little bit more aggression, and then shot well and was worth $25 million. Like, like, all the pieces are kind of there that that could happen. It's just we've never seen them happen with any consistency. And we've never seen the level of aggression we need consistently. So I don't think it's going to happen, but it's not like I can't craft the path in my head where he could get $25 million and be a good deal still. Like, I can I just think it's like a low percentage chance. So I'd let him go. Like, I'm with you. I'd let him go. I'm just saying, like, there's always some risk with that with a young guy. And then the question is, like, well, now you've let this guy go. What else are you going to do with that $25 million? And part of this gets back to really how badly we screwed up the trade deadline. It's kind of come out that Alex Crusoe could have been moved for a first-round pick from Golden State and Moses Moody. And it's like malpractice that we didn't take that. Wait, what was the deal? I didn't hear this. Uh, basically, Moses Moody and a first-round pick for Alex Crusoe from the Golden State Warriors. You know, Moody is a decent I'm not young a prospect. fan of Moody, but... He's a decent young prospect, not, like, amazing. And a first, and I'm not sure where the first was, but with relatively low protection, they were talking. And you should have taken that, because it's like you need to start rebuilding around some younger assets. 
And, you know, there was probably a deal out there for DeMar. And now we're stuck wondering, well, what are we going to do with DeMar this summer? Like, if we let him go, the team is going to lose too much ability. And if we keep him, we're just going to slowly be slightly worse every year. And, you know, we're just, we just keep trapping ourselves in these corners by slowly peeling off the Band-Aid. And I don't want us to, like, full rebuild and be really terrible and try and tank and get the first pick. I'm not saying that. But you got to start turning around some of those long-term, some of those older short-term assets into long-term assets. And we just keep passing up the opportunities to do those. And I just don't know if there's any left anymore. In defense of Acme on this one, I will state, I think they took a calculated bet that Caruso, and I believe this, maybe they didn't take this bet, but this is what I was thinking. I think Caruso will still have very high value this summer. Tremendous high value. Provided he stays healthy, that's a risk. True. But like I, I think whatever you could have got for Alex Caruso at the trade deadline will be available for you next this this June. Or, you know, May. And maybe even more. Maybe even more. When some teams lose out and the vast majority are going to, I think everyone's gonna look at Alex Caruso and say, you know what, he could significantly help our team. He doesn't make that much money. Let's throw in multiple draft assets and something better than Moody for Alex Crusoe. You're not going to get. You're not going to beat that deal later. Maybe I don't know, Doug. I think that's pretty close. All right, but but good, you might get the same points. deal later. You might get the same deal later. I'll, I'll give you that. You might, or you might not. But you're not going to beat it. He's he's not going to be worth yeah, more with only one playoff run in him than he was with two playoff runs in him. I tell you what, if the Warriors go out and play in, which is entirely possible, I'd be going back to them saying. Uh, you know what? I want Moody and I want two number ones, or I want Moody and uh, more assets. Like probably more likely that they more. rebuild. Not with not with Steph Curry. Probably team. more likely they, they trade Steph Curry. No, definitely not. That Steph Curry is never going to be traded from. They're not going to give up two first round picks if they couldn't get out of the play in. Alex Crusoe's probably not, not two first round play-in. picks, but maybe Moody a first round pick and maybe a second. Yeah, I think it's you can not going to get better. Him when, it's not going to get better. The Warriors, All right, the Warriors well, are yeah, already we'll talking never know. about blowing it up. We're yeah, kind of in circles on this one. Yeah. But we're, we're in agreement here for the most part. Like, this is the first step. Like, I think, let's go back to Williams. Let's, let's put, a, put a cap on this, a bow on this one. Like, I'm in agreement with you the more I think about it. Like, maybe if a team comes at, first of all, I don't think, though, a team will offer him 18 or 20 million I don't in either. a restricted free agent contract. But let's say that happens. I'd match it maybe up to 20, let's say. I'd take that risk that he'll play better. In reality... I don't think anybody's going to give him a contract. You're going to get him on the Kobe White type of deal on your terms, what you want, and that shouldn't be a penny over $15 million per year for what he's produced so far. Out of four seasons, he's had two years with major injuries, You know where he's missed large swaths of the season. Yes, he managed in those other two years to play a lot. Doesn't matter. In the, in the grand scheme of things, he's missed large swaths of 50% of his career so far. And he hasn't played that well in, in the other 50%. So you, you should play hardball with one of the guys you drafted, like you did for, with every other player from the previous group. Next question, DeMar DeRozan. Was that just there? You just saying DeMar yeah, DeRozan? That was just a question? Yeah, next question, DeMar DeRozan. <laughs> what do you do with the unrestricted free agent DeMar DeRozan? Because I think this is a very complicated discussion. Um, I think I just let him go almost – under any circumstances. Oh, my gosh. So, like, right. I, get, I get why you don't want to. I, maybe to be fair, look, if you could get him for $15 million a year, fine. Yeah. 
It's got it, but it's it's like I just don't think there's like a way where he's going to be. Yeah, I don't think you're going to be able to find the number that's right. Like I think he, if he stays, he's going to want the same contract he had. He's going to talk about how great he's played, and he's going to want to be paid for the past and not for the future. And if you're the Bulls, you have to pay him for the future. Well, then you, you say no to the that. past. Yeah, yeah. I give him two years at twenty-five million a year. I think he's worth that. I wouldn't. Why hate is it. that? Why is that ridiculous? I wouldn't hate Doug? it. Why? The, the yeah, only thing I, I hate, hate about it, it is it. It just locks you into the same roster for two more years. Well, here's where I disagree. Here's where I disagree. All right. So this is really important part. Of, I don't hear enough discussion around. Bulls have their 20, 2025 pick going to San Antonio, top ten protected. So you need, and that's a good draft. Unlike this upcoming one, which sucks. 2025 draft is a very good one. Like, you need to decide whether you're going to play really bad or really good for the 2024-5 season. And I think you have to have some assets out there to make deals. Right? I don't think DeMar DeRozan is an asset at that price. Okay. That's That's a fair point. Fair point. I don't, so you're saying, a, I don't think he's like hugely negative, but I don't think anyone's going to covet DeMar DeRozan. Where is he an asset at? What dollar amount, in your opinion? Where do you think teams would trade for him? Maybe, like, if he was on, like, $10 million, then I think some team might be excited for him. $10 million. Yeah. He's got to be at least at the... So the thing is, can I, can I explain a little Come bit? On. Yeah. Okay, sure. so first, what type of team would want DeMar DeRozan? It's going to be a team... It's going to be a team that needs scoring... It's going to be a team that wants to win right now. It's going to need be a team that has three-point shooting in a lot of places. And he's going to have to accept the role off the bench and not be like a top couple option. And you start thinking about like, where does a scorer who's like ball dominant and doesn't shoot threes fit on a good team? And there's just like very few teams. And then you think of these teams, how many are already deep in the tax? And it's like most of them. So they're not going to want to pay like this huge amount of money for him. So it's just, it's just like all the logistics around him. Like his impact on the game is a floor raiser is very high, but I don't think any teams that want floor raisers are going to be looking at him. And then for the teams that are trying to raise their ceiling, I just don't think DeMar is like a really impactful player because he doesn't fit in next to other really good players super well because he doesn't shoot threes and he doesn't play defense. And so then it's like, well, where is the fit? Like who is going to want that? And it's like, even though there's this value of what he can do on the court to help you in the right situation, that doesn't align with anyone in that situation. Like, there's just, just not a lot of that out there. And so I think that's just why his value to the Bulls is maybe going to be higher than his value to, as a trade asset. So it's almost out of the options. Give me your options of what you would want to do with DeMar DeRozan. Would you rather let him walk or see him signed at the mid-level exception? I'd definitely take him at the mid-level. I'd, 15 million or less, I'd take him. Just because we don't have yeah. other good choices. I just like him. And yeah, I like him too. Do I like him? I, I do think there is a team that will say, you know what, that's going to struggle in the playoffs, that thinks they're better than they are, and they're going to struggle in the half court. He's a player that I think could have success for you in the half court. And will look, I think he'll, he will uh, eventually take on as his career as he ages a six-man role 
as a guy who can give you some points off the bench and also be a great vet in the locker room. I hope he embraces that, and I think that's a discussion you have to have with him. Because, But he's still playing at a high level, man. He's still a good player, a really good player. And I just don't think it's, a, it's ever a good idea to let a guy like that walk out of your building for nothing, you know? Just my I, opinion. The role you described is the mid-level exception type role. Yeah. Like, to be honest. And, and the other thing is, I'm just going to say, like, DeMar is not that good a player anymore. Like, this year, he's like, his efficiency, offensive efficiency, is like league average. He's still a good player. His offensive he's efficiency, listen to me, his offensive efficiency is league average. His defense is way below average. And he doesn't provide the specific skills most teams want or covet. And so that just makes him a very niche fit. You know, like his best attribute might be closing and being able to get tough shots off. But the elite teams don't need that. Philly is not giving the ball to DeRozan in the clutch. They're giving it to Embiid or they're giving it to Maxi. Like, they just don't need that. They need a guy who's going to space the floor for those guys. I was reading an article. And I, you have to forgive me. I forget which one it was. But it was at the trade deadline. It was going through every team and what they might want at the trade deadline. And basically, all the buyers are the teams in the playoffs, right? Not a single bull came up except for Alex Caruso on the type of player any of these teams would covet. What came up on every single list was they need a wing defender and a shooter. And DeRozan is neither of those things. Like, I just don't think there's going to be a robust trade market forward. Okay. Now here's, a, here's another tough question that I, I, I wanted to throw your way. This is not a good draft. No. Let's say the Bulls end up at 14-15 in the draft. Would you consider throwing in that number one pick to get Zach Levine off the roster and hopefully return something? Maybe not a higher pick, maybe like a late first round. I don't know. What kind of assets, I guess, where's your stance on Zach Levine? What should you do with Zach Levine? My concerns are, is they're going to throw in an asset to just get him off the roster, which I think would be a massive mistake. What's I'm it? with you. I would only, so I would be willing maybe to give up an asset to get him off the roster, but only if you are making a bunch of other moves that reset this roster, you're going to gain salary cap space. You're going to reuse that cap space to do, other things, you know, whatever. Uh, but if you're just like, well, I'll just get Zach Levine off the roster and then I'm going to run back the same team. No, that's dumb. So, you know, in, in the right combination of moves, it might be okay. And it's hard to figure out exactly what permutation of things would make that okay for me. But I think generally you just got to hope this was a bad year for Zach. He had a couple injuries. He obviously missed a huge amount of time. Didn't play well while he was healthy. But the three whole years before that, he played at a level that validates his current contract. And I think you just have to hope that when he comes back, he plays at the level he did for three straight years. You know, before he had, you know, this stretch of 25 games, he didn't play well. That in the previous stretch of, I don't know what it is, like 200 games where he played well is more representative than the most recent 25 games. And I don't think that that is an insane thought. (laughs) That like it can't be, you know, I think it's probably reasonable to think he can bounce back and play better. And then with the cap eventually rising and then just years coming off his deal, you know, like the amount of negativity in his asset would go away. 
you know, if he bounces back and then is a 25 point per game score at like 60% true shooting percentage again, and now he's only got two and a half years on his deal, I think he's a very tradable asset again. So I think the odds are you're going to be do better by waiting than not, but obviously there is a risk. Yeah, this is a really, really tough one. I, I kind of feel like just the best way to go forward with it is to, I mean, hopefully you can just break even, just get him off the roster. Um, you know, I, I say that hopefully. I believe in Zach. I like Zach. I think Zach is still a good player. I, you know, you'd almost prefer him to see, at least in the first one or two months of rehab, his, his status as, a, as an NBA player and, and you know, just at least garner something in return, a second-round pick, something like that. Just try to get a package like, you know, Washington did for Beal, right? Is that even remotely in the cards, getting something, probably even half of that right now? I mean, but just trading them this offseason is just such a – you're really – you couldn't send a player out at a lower spot. You know, I, I don't. I never think that's a good idea, ever. That never turns out well. He's got just such a big contract, Doug. It's just so hard to kind of like make that in combination with any other. Do you feel that way? I'm going to tell you what I always tell you when we talk about whether you should trade a guy now or later because his value can never get lower. The value can always get lower. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, there's, like his value is what it is now. You should assume his value now will be the same value in a year. And, like, you know that assumption probably won't be right, but the odds of it being higher or the odds of it being lower are about the same. Like, if he has a bad year this year, he's just dead money. Like, just dead money. you got to treat him like some team has just taken $90 million off your hands for nothing, and you're going to have to pay a whole ton of assets. And you're just stuck with him. And if he plays well, I don't think you could maybe get back though. a late first and just expiring contracts. Well, you just said you don't think that's going to happen. Great. You don't think it's going to happen. Did you think he was going to suck balls this year going into the year? No, you thought he was going to be a superstar this year. So, like, whatever you think is going to happen might or might not happen. Like, we don't know. So I'm just saying, like, he, he could be even worse next year as an asset. Or he could be a lot better. So it's a risk either way. So you just decide, would you, do you want to take that risk or not? And I would take the risk on Zach to keep him. Uh, as long as, uh, one caveat I'll say, as long as you work with Zach's camp and he's just not going to blow up the team by being pissed off in the locker room and whatever else, which is an aspect that we, we can't know. It's unknowable for us. But if Zach is like going into practice and doing the James Harden or the Ben Simmons where he just shows up and won't talk to anyone and just completely destroys your vibe, then you just got to gotta get rid of him no matter what. I agree. I agree, but he won't do that. I Zach don't think he'll do that either. any of those I'm guys. Just, I'm just saying. You sit down with him. You sit down with him and you say, Zach, we've tried to trade you. We can't trade you unless we attach an asset to it. We want to make you happy. We love you. We wish you'd want to stay here. Can we just throw this out? Stay here. Yeah, but and he could if, he could say if, screw you. Like I agree yeah, that's what he you won't do. do that though. You, well, you say that you have you've met Zach Levine. You know the inner workings of his mind. You don't. So I'm just no, saying, but just based on people I trust who've met him, I right. don't think that's a game. He'll play. I'm, I'm sure you know really close friends of Zach Levine who talk to you about him all the time. And have deep <laughs> insights into the inner workings of Zach Jim Levine's Levine, mind I'm and know the situation. Look, I'm not saying you're wrong. From what I've seen of Zach, I agree with you that that's most likely true. But just saying like, hey, this is a scenario that is in the realm of possibility and could happen. And the Bulls know whether it's true or not. Like they know actually whether that's true based on all of his actions in the locker room. So they can make that decision 
based on real knowledge. So that's the, it's only a teeny caveat. I agree from a practical sense, you're right. Like, I agree with what you're saying, and I'm just throwing out the fringe scenario that if this is true, you would behave differently, and, and we just don't know. We only guess. Doug, even if he takes the fringe scenario, I'm not going to do what one of, my, one of my friends suggested. Would you throw in this year's first-round pick and Zach Levine just to get him off the roster for a couple of second-rounders? Not Maybe. playing that game. Maybe. I'm not the, doing reason, the reason why I'm going to say that, Fred, is so let's just say you did that, okay? For sake of argument. Okay. You could buy another pick for $90 million that you saved in getting Zach Levine off the roster. Like you're getting that $90 million back. Like a first round pick generally doesn't cost you $40 million. So, so you, you could use that same space to get a pick back. So it's not like, you know what I mean? Like it's not just like you're getting Zach off the roster. You're also getting the flexibility to use that 90, you know, $40 million a year, but you know, over $90 million over two years. And then I guess actually now this year would be three years still. So $160 million they have left or $140 million, whatever it is. Like you're getting all that space back to use and you can use that to buy more assets. So the first round pick is not like actually, you know, that's why I said it just depends what's your strategy going forward. Like what are you going to do with the money you save if you remove Zach from the team? You're going to use it to overpay DeMar DeRozan and Patrick Williams? If that's your plan, then no. <laughs> but if... If you're like, well, I'm going to buy a bunch of first-round picks and I'm going to move DeMar and I'm going to do this other stuff and I'm going to facilitate, you know, like a rebuild? Well, maybe, depending on what your plan is. So, you know, it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's black or white, but if you, if you move Zach even with that pick in this bad draft, then maybe you have a chance for things to actually still come out in your favor and, and bring in more positive assets. Well said. You're running the team. All right, I, I, I buy the team. I hand it over to you. It sounds like number one, we're step one. You go to Patrick Williams, we'll give you fifteen million per year. Sign with us for four years. That's step one. If he says no, go see what you can get on the open market. Step two, step three. If it's twenty million or more, we say adios. If it's less than twenty million, we'll match. Yep, I'm in. I'm in with that. Demar Derozan, we go to him and say we love you, Demar. We want you here. We're only going to give you $15 million per year. That's your high, high number. I think to your point, Fred, if you keep it at two years, I might be willing to do what you said, like 225, like 250 total, 25 a year for two years. I might be willing to do yeah. that in line with the Absolutely. You know, you know, I think that's okay. The, the short term makes it okay. And if you do that, you're probably basically just running back this team again, which I hate. But you've passed by all the opportunities to sell high on guys. So now you're kind of stuck like you've no real meaningful way to rebuild anyway. You might as well, you know, keep a guy like this. And like you said, have the fringe, have the fringe chance of like trading him for something else or whatever. No, I think your goal then is to, once you get DeMar under contract, let's say it's two years at $25 million, which I'm fine with. Because I still think that's a tradable asset. I think he will progress. I think he'll be fine as a player, and some team may be willing to acquire him at those at that amount for. It kind of doesn't years. matter, even if no one can acquire. Doesn't matter. Him, it's two years. You got to have guys not... on the roster like him. He's a good leader. Yeah. He brings a lot of intangibles. At that point, though, I'm still trying to get Booch off this roster for whatever you can. I'm still trying to trade Zach, and you're you're trying to get Lonzo Ball's number off. 
that does free up a ton of space. Like, I would have been fine if we could just built around, hey, let's have DeMar here lead these youngsters uh, through his example. He's beloved. And, and just kind of have everything built around him. Instead, you devoted that third year to Vooch, which was so unbelievably stupid. I, I can't even believe it. Like, I want to know the team that was willing to pay that guy on a third year at $20 million a year. It's just insanity to me. So you, you got him stuck. His carcass stuck on the roster. And then, you know, what else do you do? You still have some valuable players, right, that you could probably move. But I, I, I kind of just want to see DeMar here, Kobe here, Io here. And let's ride with that core and see what else we can build around it. Yeah, I just don't think you're going to be able to move Vooch. Maybe I'm going to ask you a question. Would you give up the 14th pick in the draft just to get Vooch off the roster? <laughs> no, definitely not. He doesn't make enough money. He doesn't make enough money. I, 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 I love what you're saying. I don't think he's as bad as you do. Like, I'm just, uh, I'm he's asking not you. good. No, I would not. I would not. I'd, I'd, I'd take more value and hopefully whatever. I would consider that as much as I'd consider moving Zach off the roster. They, well, like, to, me, both of them, more. to me, both of those things, like, they only make sense depending if you have a plan to follow up the move. Like, the move in and of itself doesn't make you better. You have to have a, a whole strategy around how you do this in combination with other things to, to make it work out. So I probably wouldn't either in practice, but I think it's just as fair a question. I'd also go to the San Antonio Spurs and ask them if they'd like to trade this number one overall pick, number 14 overall. Um, for us to get unprotected 25 back and second rounders that they have an abundance of, I would be willing to do that. That's how low I'm, I am on this draft. Well, the Spurs will just say no. Would you, would you make that move? <laughs> uh, I mean, it depends where we end up. But, like, so I, don't think we're, I think we're probably going to draft like 11th because I think we'll lose in the play-in. So whatever that is, and we'll be the worst of eh. the play-in losers. Yeah, at that point, you probably just take what's so over. So then it's like, there. all right, 11 in a bad draft versus, like, because there's protection on the pick, you know, it's going to be, you know, can't be worse than 11. Like, even if that draft is better, like, better often when people talk about the draft is really just talking about the top three guys. And then they just they talk about the whole draft. Like, if the top three is good, they're like, oh, it's a good draft. And if the top three is bad, they're like, it's not a good draft. But a lot of times, the not a good draft, the picks, like, around 11 – become a lot better because it's just like the thing is there's no one worthy of being number one but then there's a lot of people who are pretty similar and then the guys later on in like you know the late lottery end up having as much potential as the guys in the early lottery because there's just not a lot of separation so well said in 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 that sense like while i agree the top of the 25 draft is a lot better than the top of the 24 draft i don't know that that's true once you get into the picks in the 11 to 15 range and that's what we're talking about here so i would probably not do that trade um, but i don't know enough about either draft to say for sure all right i think we've got three of the biggest topics for the offseason i mean these guys have really made a mess to the point we don't really have a lot of options right the assets that we have we have the first round pick this year we have kobe white io and these are guys you probably want to keep on the roster because they're valuable players on low dollar amounts there's not a lot we can do we're kind of we're really stuck here. So, and then Patrick Williams, you got to make a decision on. We've kind of hit, beat that one to a pulp. But I do want to talk about something else here, which was uh, you've heard about the, the Darnell Mayberry article that came out. Darnell, fantastic yeah. writer yeah, yeah. for The Athletic. And he had, I'll read it for everyone in case you haven't heard it. This is actually a quote from Darnell Mayberry's uh, question and answer mailbag. 
Quote, unquote, I had a casual conversation with a high-ranking Chicago Bull executive shortly before the NBA's trade deadline. We didn't agree on the direction of the franchise. The Bulls stood pat at the deadline for the third straight season. They did nothing despite substantial evidence that their injury-plagued roster isn't close to contending at a high level and likely won't be anytime soon. My point of contention was the front office punted on a pass offered happily by the team's fans. A rebuild. Quote-unquote, your fans, the executive countered. Initially, I didn't get it. I, didn't, I don't have fans. People read me at The Athletic and follow me on social media mostly because they're Bulls fans. I thought the exec was trying to be snarky. It felt like an attempt to downplay our subscribers and passionate followers of the team on social media. But the comment wasn't made to downplay anyone. It was delivered to emphasize the difference. The Bulls fans the executive was re- referencing are paying customers. My fans, by and large, aren't the segment that fill the UC on cold winter nights. The exchange, albeit brief, provided tremendous insight into the minds that made up Bulls management. What say you? I posted something in regards to a different article, but I think it applies here. If you are looking at uh, this process, and in my work we call it shifting left, like uh, you want to shift all your stuff left. And so in this case, you and I are the farthest left. We're super niche uh, analysts on the Chicago Bulls, like really deep insights on one specific basketball team and one specific situation. Um, And I was talking with Morton Jensen, who is now a general basketball guy, but started out as a Bulls guy. And and so like Morton in this case, he is like a little bit to the right of us. He's a in-depth basketball guy, but covers the whole league. And then you have someone we're going to say like Stephen A. Smith, who covers the whole league. And like, I think Stephen A. Smith is actually really bright and knows a ton and he could talk in really great detail about the league. But generally, he doesn't. Generally, he just looks for takes that are good sound bites that will attract casual fans and are interesting. And so he's going to attract like casual fans of like the whole league. And that's how he can get the most ratings for ESPN. And, you know, then you have this whole group of people who just don't care about the NBA at all. And so when we're talking about what the Bulls are saying is, you and I, we're talking about super diehard fans And the Bulls are catering to like, how do we just get the casual fan to be interested in this team? Because there are not enough diehard fans for them to make money. What they need to do is always convert non-fans into casual fans. And they want to convert casual fans, if they can, into diehard fans. But really, their most important moneymaker is the casual fan. And I think that's an accurate perspective for them. It is their market. It is their target, and it's fair. They will never make money catering to the diehard fans. And I agree, the casual fans will not give them a pass on a rebuild. The casual fans will be like, this is crap. I don't care about it. The diehard fans, yeah. We'd be like, we want to see this team be better sustainably. And so the risk for them at any given point in time is, do I do a rebuild because I think I'm going to build something sustainable to attract more casual fans in the future. So like over a six-year period, will I have more casual fans by doing a rebuild or by on, being on the path I am now? And I think that's how they will address that type of situation. And I think that's a reasonable way for them to take it from, a, from their perspective. You know, we tend to think of 
you know, this other perspective where we don't really care about the end finances, but they have to think about it this different way. And so I think that's just what it is. Like, I don't think the executive was wrong to say that. I think it's like fair that they view it that way. But I would say what they're missing out of this whole equation is the path they're on is going to lose them more casual fans. Like, I don't think they're going to gain the casual fans by trotting out the same team that's a little bit worse each year. Um, and I get why they want to do that, and I think that's okay, but I think their approach, even for what they're trying to do, is not going to be successful. And I'll say it again, I'm not saying we need to fully rebuild, but you needed to switch long-term, or short-term assets into long-term assets. You had a chance to do that with Caruso. You had a chance to do that with DeMar. You previously had a chance to do that with Vooch. You previously had a chance to do that with Zach. You can't do that with those guys anymore. Now they're negative value contracts. So you punted and punted and punted on your ability to do that, and you still missed the playoffs. And now you're back in a boat where like, it's just, you just keep passing on those things. It's just going to be harder and harder. You just keep kicking the can down the road. It's going to be harder and harder. You can't just keep on missing. Javon Carter, massive miss. Not trading Andre Drummond to help you know, get some of the coffers up you know, uh, for your, some draft assets. I think that's a miss. Uh, I still think they would, even if you traded Andre Drummond, I mean, I, I guess this is a big debate. You know, would they have made the play? I, I think they would have. They probably would have ended up in the same spot. Dale and Terry, miss. You can't keep on having these misses. Marco, you sign in Marco to a three-year deal. You, you just had too many misses so far. End of story. And, you know, Patrick Williams at the spot where he was drafted, that's an absolute miss too. So I, I love everything you said there. I agree with it too. Like I, I wasn't nearly as upset about it because I, I didn't really know the context or understand the context, but now that you explained it, I, I, that's what I kind of assumed it was. Like the people that are going to the UC want to see competitive games, want to see the team win more than they were in 2017, 18, and 19. That was a, a very dark time where people were canceling their season tickets um, and, and people were just, just really, really disgusted with the direction of the team. Didn't understand it. I think they should have thought a little harder and realized that they were losing – the PR battle, um, because there's very few, I do agree, very few diehard Bulls fans that can really understand and debate and understand you know, things that were going on. I think the Chicago Bulls underestimated the power of talk radio, sports radio. You have guys like Nick Friedle getting online complaining about um, you know, the Bulls, the misses that they had at 29, stupid argument, dumb argument. You know, acting like you know that the, that the front office was to- totally incompetent. When you look at a lot of the good f- draft picks that they had, they didn't fight that battle. They had no one there fighting it for them, and they lost that battle. And that's why the team went so bad, and that's why they had such bad PR. And it was time. You know, Jim Boylan was a disaster, also. But this this is the kind of to me like a little bit of a reverse situation where you've had nothing but good PR for many years for questionable move after questionable move. And now it's starting to turn quick. It's already turned with the, the diehards. It will, you're right. Pretty soon it's going to turn with the with the with just the average fan base. And I think when it does turn, it's going to be far worse than it was in 17, 18, and 19. I agree. They're going to be in a far worse spot, that's for sure. It's going to be a – they aren't going to have a big chest full of assets like they inherited to flip around and do something. What do you think if next year they, they finish 11th or 12th? 13. Can you imagine what that would be like, Doug? Well, we'll, we'll see. The 2025 it. draft, they finished 12th or 13th. Think about that. Losing that pick and handing it over to San Antonio. Uh, anyhow, 
we've been kind of yapping for a while. Anything else you wanted to hit before we, we move on uh, and bring this bus in the garage? No, I'm just sad that we're talking about the offseason in February. Because <laughs> it's the most interesting thing to talk about. All right, man. Till next time, go Bulls. Go Bulls.